Wonderful. Happy Easter, everybody. God's good. Amen. All the time. All the time. God is good. Fantastic. Um, wow. It's a celebration, isn't it? Uh, Easter Sunday morning. We celebrate the complete work of Jesus on the cross for us. Everybody say complete. You are completely forgiven this morning. Isn't that wonderful? You're complete in Him. You're safe. You're surrounded. You're saved. We celebrate this morning the victory. Everybody say victory. victory. Oh, go on. Say it with a little bit of uh, to your neighbor. Go on. Say it like you. Say it like you're an American Pentecostal just for a moment. Victory. We celebrate the finished work of Jesus. Whisper it. It is finished. It is finished. But I want to talk into attention this morning. Uh, whisper to yourself like you might do at three in the morning. Sometimes I feel finished. <laughs> or maybe I'm really not finished. I'm not very complete. I don't feel very victorious. Don't we live in the tension of the finished work of Christ, but the fact that you and I are not finished? Listen, today you are as forgiven as you are ever going to be, but you ain't finished. Go on, whisper to the person next to you, you ain't finished. But there's work to be done. Anybody? So what I want to do today, and I want to kind of open up a little bit of this tension that I don't want us to live in glib, um, victorious phrases that we, we say and we try and get excited with the preacher, but we know that our lives are incomplete while his work was complete. We are unfinished, even though there's a finished work, that we've still got stuff going on inside of us. So should we address the tension this morning of the finished work of Christ on the cross, that you are as forgiven as you are ever going to be? You are called holy, but I love the tension of the book of Hebrews that while you are holy today, at the very same time you are being made holy. While you are perfect this morning, yes, go on, husband, tell your wife, I knew it, I'm perfect. The preacher said so. Okay, wife, you hold the other side of the truth. You ain't that perfect. When you pick your socks up at the end of the day and don't just leave them at the end of the bed, then I might call you perfect. Although we might start to work on other things like putting the bins out on the right day. And Okay, well, let's move on. You know, at Easter we often reflect on what it must have been like to be at the foot of the cross. You know, to be Mary or, you know, uh, just... <laughs> There weren't many disciples around, actually, they all fled, but to be at the foot of the cross, like the centurion looking at Jesus, ever, anybody seen The, the Passion? Or, or any of the Jesus movies, we have this incredible picture of Christ from the foot of the cross. But for a change this morning, because I just felt God put it on my heart this week, I don't want to look at the crucifixion from the foot of the cross. I want to look at the crucifixion from heaven. 
So who knows that your life right now feels a certain way? Just work with me. Who's had a 10 out of 10 week? Go on. Just Joshua. You were looking down then, but you were the only hand that went in the air. You weren't even listening, were you? You were busy texting. He's on Twitter, chattering away there. All right, so Joshua's had a 10 out of 10 week. Who's had a 7 out of 10 week? Come on, work with me. Oh, oh, it's not bad. Not bad. Who's had a 2 out of 10? Anybody had a 1 out of 10? Right, who's going to the minus? Minus 5, minus 10. Isn't that life? What life really feels like sometimes? Work with me. But who knows that your life looks different from heaven? And God's there proclaiming finished works and victory and purpose and his love for you and his hope. But at three o'clock in the morning, you're there, even though the Bible tells you not to worry, but you're worried and anxious and working through it all. And you've been a Christian 40 years and you're still working through this stuff. You ain't finished. I ain't finished. So I thought, rather than look from the foot of the cross, let's look for a moment at what was happening in heaven when Jesus died. If you can get your eyes on a Bible or a phone, Joshua, with a Bible on it. <laughs> Revelation 5, let's go there. And let's look at this day we celebrate today. Well, this weekend, in fact, from heaven's perspective. And I hopefully are going to get a, a bit of a life lesson out of it for you. Is that okay? I want you to be able to apply it to what's going on in your life. Revelation 5, and I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation to give it a little fresh twist, but it should be uh, fairly similar to whatever version you've got. Starting at verse 1, and here is this weekend that we are remembering today, but from the throne room of heaven. Are you ready? And I saw, it's John speaking, and I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll. Everybody say, unopened scroll. With writing on the inside and on the outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw an incredibly powerful angel proclaiming with a great loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and able to break its seven seals? But no person could be found, living or dead, in all of creation. No one was worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. So I broke down weeping with intense sorrow because there was found no one worthy to break open the scroll and read its contents. Then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping, look, the mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David, he has conquered. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a young lamb standing before the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders, he appeared to have been slaughtered or slain, but was now alive. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out to the ends of the earth. I saw the young lamb approach the throne and take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. I'll jump to verse 9. And they began to sing a song of praise to the young lamb, because you were slaughtered for us, 
you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, language, people, group, and nation. You have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. Wow. So from heaven, on earth we know, we've got, we've got this basic sense of, come on, Good basic theology. The world is broken. Sin is our problem. We're, a, we're enslaved to sin and the world is a mess. There is no one that could fix it but a perfect, spotless lamb sacrificed for the sin of the world. So Jesus dies on a cross. And all we do is believe in his work and there is a finished work of forgiveness. We're reconciled to God. Somebody say, Yahoo. But then from heaven, this is the way the Father sees it. He sees it as a scroll, a next chapter, a book that no one is worthy to open and read the words from. There is something sealed up with seven seals. Seven is the number of perfection. Only perfection could open the next chapter of the world's destiny. And no one in all of creation was found worthy. Isaiah echoes this. He says a couple of times in his prophecies, no one was found. So it says God worked salvation himself. Ha! <sighs> and so in heaven what we get is this incredible picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the mighty God, with all of his majesty and all of his strength and all of his might humbling himself, and the lion became a lamb. And it says, because he was slaughtered as a perfect lamb, he was worthy to take hold of the next modern language book in the history of mankind, and because, he, because of that worthiness, we see a picture of him with seven horns. Horns speak of strength in the Bible. Seven speaks of perfection or completeness. Here he was turning up to heaven. Work with me. We're going to start to apply in a minute. Keep the story going. Work with me. Here he does. He turns up to heaven now. Having gone through the gateway of suffering, he turns up in complete strength and approaches the throne of God the Father, and all of heaven recognizes he's worthy. He's not just done four horns of strength, not five. Didn't just get six and a half almost there, darn it, mucked up in the last bit. No, seven. Absolute perfection. Suffered for you and I. Approached the throne. And no one in all history had been able to do this. He took the book of the next part of all of the world's destiny, and he unfolded for you and I salvation. Wow. And all of heaven begins to rock with praise. Finally, somebody's done it. This mess, this muck, this sin, this vile selfishness and seediness that infects all of us was taken by God himself 
who laid aside his majesty, emptied himself, came down, died on a cross, and walked into heaven as a worthy, not lion, but as a worthy lamb, the one who left as a lion, walked in as a suffering slain lamb and said, right now, let's start the next book of history. You know, the most amazing thing about God is his humility. Isn't it? He did that for you and me. He left the majesty of heaven and he walked the dusty streets of earth and he died a slave's death naked on a cross. It was the worst kind of death you could have. And I know we put a loincloth on him, but it wouldn't have been there. Naked and shamed in front of the whole world. But what was he doing? Uh, I'm sure there wasn't, but there probably wasn't a glint in Jesus' eye at all. He was in genuine agony. But there was a glint in the eye of the Father who knew for the joys set before us, we're working something out here through this suffering. We're doing something that's going to mean I can call you incomplete people complete. You imperfect people perfect. You sinful people still forgiven. I can call you holy even while I'm working out with you your holiness. It's what I'm going to do. So there was a glint in the eye of the Father. So I know what I'm doing. And no one could do it. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Elijah, not Billy Graham, not Reinhard Bonnke, as lovely as they both were. Only God himself could do this incredible work and take on suffering so that we could be saved. Wow. Wow. And so you live in the good of a freshly opened book that says, now, you who were once far away have been brought near. You are reconciled to God. You, with all your foibles and imperfections and funny obsessions and strange ways, no, not just me, you too, have been brought near to God. And he says to you, I've always loved you, but now I can embrace you. I've taken away your offense. It's gone like the morning mist. Somebody, wow. Wow. I've always loved you. But now you don't smell of sin anymore. You smell of the robes of my son. Come here. And he embraces us. That's salvation. Isn't it wonderful? but he was also showing us how we are supposed to live because even though you're holy and forgiven and perfected these wonderful phrases echo through the New Testament that we would all wish weren't there phrases like we will participate in his death eek no, no, I thought it was a finished work. Yeah, yeah. But there's another side to it. You participate in the sufferings. Philippians 3.10 talks about participation in the suffering. It literally means that we become friends with suffering. Fridge magnet, anybody? See, I want us to understand 
when Jesus died on the cross, he was doing it for us. But he was also leaving us an example. Not that we would do exactly the same thing, but he was showing how the next chapter in our lives often opens up. It opens up through humility and suffering and pain. Somebody say yabba dabba do. <laughs> quickly, quickly before the feeling goes away. Wow. Philippians 3.10 says this, Now if we're children, then we're heirs. I like that. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you like that? Do you want to be a co-heir with Christ? You know, it's a loaded question, don't you? So you're all like, I'm not answering that one. He's tricking us. I can tell it. It says, If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Sorry, that's Romans 8.17. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Wow. I want to become like Christ in his death. Anybody else go, not me, I don't. No, thank you. No, I want it on a tray, on a platter, whilst watching EastEnders. I want my destiny to unfold in peace and quiet and tranquility. Anybody on my planet? I want a fridge magic that says it's all done. All you need to do is rest. But then the Bible, yes, it says things like that, but is littered with these terms of suffering and pain. So here's where it all goes wrong if we don't preach the two. You and I hit hard times and we think something's wrong with us. It seems like everyone else in the room is talking victory and singing victory and preaching victory. And you're sat there going, I ain't got victory. I'm a plonker. I mean, I'm nodding and I'm here because the community's nice sometimes. But really, I'm going through genuine stuff. And I'm doing my best to worship Jesus. But God, life sometimes feels really naff. Am I allowed to use the word naff, Matt? You're a youth leader, you should know. Is it all right? Yeah. Sometimes life just feels tough. Here's what we need to realize. It is true that he did the work of forgiveness for us, but we still need to go through the work of completion for process. We still need to get on that cross. We might sing that we want to be a lion like Jesus, we want to be more than conquerors. But also, we've got to realize we'll never become lions until we know what it is to be lambs. Not many amens going on this morning. <sighs> Think about Joseph and his pit and his prison. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through nights of suffering to enter days of promotion. They were as loved by God before and after. But you're going to go through stuff to fulfill the process of life. He's going to put us through the assault course of humility until we come out ready for the next chapter. Listen, there are some scrolls in your life that will not open till you get on the cross. There are some chapters in your destiny where you will simply wait at the door until you realize the door is only three foot tall and eight inches wide. Some of us need to bow down and lose weight. 
Did I say that out loud? Somebody's clapping. Well done. It's a narrow way. It's a tiny gate. It's a narrow road. It's not a broad highway that we go along singing, oh, when the saints come marching in. It's not this easy, charismatic, sing-along destiny. Now, it's good that we cheer each other up on a Sunday, but let's not for a moment pretend that we don't recognize that underneath the singing, there is aches and tears and longing and waiting and delay and loneliness and, oh, God, when is somebody with me? So we keep our victory songs, but they come out of the fires of adversity. That's why they're true worship. Because we're not strange robots that suddenly think, oh, life is all rosy, it's all easy. No, life can be awful. But I will worship him. Though he slay me, I will worship him. Though he slay me, I'm his. I'm a prisoner of his. Choices, what are they? I don't get choices. I'm a prisoner of the purposes of God. And so are you if you're following Jesus. If you've got a religion of convenience, maybe not. But me, I want to be under orders. But sometimes that means you're going, oh, wow. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm lonely. Oh, when? Oh, God, this isn't, you know, I'm feeling so humbled and broken. But I'll still turn up. I will still sing you a song of praise. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, somebody. He wasn't just doing it for us. He was showing us how to do it. He was showing us how to get to promotion, how to open the next seal of the next chapter of our lives. Sometimes it's pain that some of us will never process because we think it's the devil. And sometimes it is. You've got to work that out. Sometimes we think it is just us being sinful. And it's true. Sometimes we're in pain because of our own sin and stupidity. But you need discernment now. Sometimes it's just God saying, "Mm -mm. you just wait there till we've dealt with our ego, till we've dealt with those control issues. Because I don't just want you anointed. I want you kind and deep and holy. Not just in status, but in state. I need you to be like Christ. Not on the outside, but deep in the caverns of your soul to love your enemies and pray for them. And yet, so every time you envy on Instagram, <laughs> nobody's life is as good as their Instagram account, is it? But he wants to deal with the things in our soul. And this is why you and I hit walls, because he's more interested in our formation than in our fulfillment. In fact, until formation comes right, we never reach fulfillment. So we stand at gateways, just like Jesus knelt in Gethsemane. And there he said, God, is this the only way? Kind of, are you kidding me? Don't you ever say to God, does it have to be this way? Couldn't it be a better way? Don't you ever say to God, I thought more would have happened by now? Two of you agree. Don't you ever complain to God about the pain? Don't you ever say to God, God, but church is so boring. And God says to me, but you're the pastor. It's your fault. (laughs) I say to God sometimes, church is really boring. And he says to me, it's because you're boring. It's not because I'm boring. Why are we following Jesus? 
I believe we're not doing it for a ticket to heaven. I don't believe most people think that, really. I know we all want our guilt to be eased and have a sense of peace. But really, I think we're following Jesus because he's our Savior and our Lord, and we believe the best life possible is to give it to him. Even if our life ends up in martyrdom, I would rather be martyred for him than enjoy the pleasures of the world without him. I'm not bothered about seeing how many years I can get on this earth. I'm trying to see how much of God I can get into this world. That's what it's about. Somebody on my planet. And so that means, like him, our example, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Now, let me just break it down a little bit. The suffering often, I, I think perhaps we don't always relate because God's not really asking us to get on a cross, is he? Metaphorically, he is, but it's hard to imagine, you know, how do I suffer with Christ? And, and he's not asking us to open a scroll. It's beautiful pictures, but it doesn't always equate to what our life feels like. I think actually to create a relatable sense of what suffering feels like to you and me, it is best, probably easiest, to look at Gethsemane. Because I think that's the moment in the runway up to the cross when he knelt down and he was probably bartering a little bit with his father. I don't know if that's theological or not. Somebody cleverer than me can correct me one day, but I've got the mic now. And he was kind of, God, is there any other way? Is there some other way this can be done there in that garden? And, uh, well, let me just read it. Mark's version says this. Um, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch, going a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Do you ever pray those prayers? Come on, just sort it out now. You've got all the power in the world. Fix it. You can, you can flick your fingers and fix it. He can heal everyone that we want healed in a moment. Isn't it? encouraging to realize that Jesus himself, when he was having the human experience that we have, said, come on, Father, you could do anything. Speed it up a little. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Yet not what I will. There's the worship. But what you will. <laughs> Uh, Luke's version says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, same place, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Listen to this, and being in anguish, say anguish, it's a great word, isn't it? He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Wow. I think there are times of anguish. Anybody experienced any anguish this week? Anguish. And sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's stupidity. But sometimes God leaves us in a garden of anguish to say, work this one through. I'm, not everything feels like a song on a Sunday morning. Some works of heaven feel like anguish. <laughs> they do. Don't you find it amazing that the one who is our peace experienced 
anguish. As though the peace was perhaps something more foundational than the feelings of our human souls. That the peace was something he was stood upon. It was the, the rock bottom within his soul. But he, like you and I, experienced emotional anguish and stress. The word literally means he was depressed, heavy, sorrowful to the point of death. Wow. And there he was experiencing that and saying, Father, is there another way? <laughs> and the answer was no. Come on, let's go through this gateway because there's promotion on the other side. Sorry, I'm talking like it's Good Friday, but should we, should we click over to Easter Sunday morning? <laughs> Had we better? You know, in that garden, he was lonely. Did you notice he left his disciples and he took the favorite three, but then he left the three and went a little further? Come on, who in the room is willing to go a little bit further than all the others to follow God? The crowd will stick to its prayer meetings, but somebody somewhere is anguishing all the way through the night to say, God, is there another way? How am I going to get through this? Somebody somewhere is fasting and praying more than all the others to say, God, come on, we must get through this gateway. We must open the next scroll. Otherwise, we sit here till we die. We must open the next scroll, otherwise we end up like Moses and his 12 spies who failed to enter the promised land, failed to step into their destiny. Sometimes it's better to have Joshua's two than Moses' 12. It's not the numbers, it's the eyes, it's the sacrifice, it's the commitment to God's purpose that matters. Don't be with the crowd. Go a little further. Step into all that God has, Amen. And through that, we, we step into his fullness. I'm going to read an article by you, Mum. Yeah? While I was researching this, I was looking at what Gethsemane means. Remember writing it? Maybe you didn't write it. Maybe Dad wrote it and you put your name to it. And you just... <laughs> Sorry, Dad. She's always been a bit like that, hasn't she? <sighs> We're all going to reach Gethsemane sometimes. <laughs> Gethsemane means oil press. And the beautiful Marion Cooper writes, it was the place where olives were crushed and made into olive oil. Now, olives are potentially extremely useful, but in their raw state, they have limited use. Never walk into an olive grove, pluck an olive from the tree and eat it. They're inedible. They must first be processed, usually more than once, to draw the bitterness from them. Or they must be pressed to obtain olive oil, which is then so valuable and useful. In the Mediterranean, it's thought of as liquid gold. To reach their potential, you and I and olives must be crushed and pressed, persecuted and suffer. For Jesus to reach his full potential to redeem mankind, he suffered, was persecuted, was hard-pressed, and his Gethsemane was part of that experience. So that's why you're feeling hard-pressed. Anybody? feeling hard-pressed. We go through stuff. I remember uh, hearing Catherine Coleman, the great anointed woman of God, saying, she would publicly say this, I died that day. She knew the day she spiritually, you could say metaphorically, gave up and died for the purposes of God through a family crisis. But the glory that was released through her spiritual death, her metaphorical death, was that miracles were released that transformed the world. Can you remember the 
<laughs> I don't know about you. For me, it's more than one. Do you remember the days you died and said, but God, I will follow you? How many single people have to say, God, I'd rather follow you single than be married to a plonker? And out of loneliness, say, but God, my loneliness is an act of worship because I refuse to disobey you. I am going to follow you through pain and loneliness and suffering, God. Because these 80 years on this world, 90 years on this world, they're an introduction to a whole eternity of adventure. I refuse to live for the now. I will live for eternity, obeying my Savior. I'd rather be with God for eternity than walk with man on this earth for a day of pleasure. Come on, someone. There's people here all through this room, giving up things in pain to say, but I will follow him. And when good stuff happens, I will praise him. But when it doesn't, I'm still going to praise him and keep going. And many of us, I would say everybody has their own pockets of pain. Do you know what? Those pockets of pain are earning promotion, earning glory. Let's click over to Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. <laughs> there was Friday night. There was silent Saturday. But then God comes through and there's resurrection. Who needs resurrection? Anybody? Ha, ha. Mm, I'm going to, I'll run out of time. Gosh, this preacher can go on. Are you getting something from this? I'm going to have to fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Oh, dear. Okay. Anybody in the waiting? All God's promises are yes and amen, but if you notice, a lot of his purposes are no and not yet. <laughs> Delay is a suffering. But here's the thing. There comes a time when God comes through for you and you realize the sacrifice was worth it when you peel open the scrolls of your next season in God and all that humility that he was drawing out of you, you realize, I, I was buying something. Even though my salvation is free, my forgiveness is free, but my purpose is bought. You're unsure about that? We've never heard that before. Our purpose is a process that we cooperate with. Even Jesus said, if you don't keep going, if you don't produce fruit, I'll take it off you. Parable of the talents. I'll take it off you and give it to the one who knows how process works in the kingdom. So my forgiveness is free. My love from God is free. But my promotion and my purpose on earth has a process to it. And he's looking for me to bow in the narrow gates and to embrace everything that he puts in front of me. <laughs> but here's a good thing. He's a good, good father. Amen. He's processing us for blessing and promotion. Oh, let me end with this. Let me, let me spin it. I have run out of time. I hope you got something, even though I've not done, done it justice. Samson. Now, he wasn't suffering because of a Christ-like process going on in his life. He was suffering because he sinned. Where did Samson's strength come from? His hair. And uh, we find him near the end of his life, all his hair shaved off, his eyes plucked out. 
and he's pushing a mill. Yeah, gross. And he's pushing uh, a mill to grind grain. He's a prisoner now, the Philistines. And he's lost his strength completely. And I love this one scripture in the Bible. And it's picture it while he's there, this old hero, no hair, eyes plucked out, so no vision, grinding grain. He's failed because of his own sin, stupidity, and distraction. But there's this great verse. And this, this is kind of like an Easter Sunday morning verse. And it counts whether it's just sin and you've been stupid, but now you're coming to a new place in God. It counts whether it's an attack of the devil, but now God's going to intervene on your behalf. It counts whether it's a suffering season, but it's coming to an end. There's this awesome phrase. It says this, but Samson's hair began to grow again. Come on, shave-headed people. Weak, eyes plucked out, lost it, feeling backslidden, depressed, don't know what's going on, lost it, down in the grave. All is lost. Listen, this is our God. This is the point. This is why he allows us to go through stuff. He's in total control. He allows us to go through stuff to bring out the faith and to bring out the character and to bring out the nature of Christ. But listen, if you've been going through a dark night, if you've been going through a a head-shaving experience, eyes plucked out, feel like a bit of a prisoner going around in circles, quite literally, in Samson's case, here's a great verse for you. And this is Easter Sunday morning. But Samson's hair began to grow again. Oh, can you? It's like the ripple on a glass of water in Jurassic Park. In other words, after a long dark night. You know, sometimes for the Israelites, there was 400 years of silence. But then you get this sense of God beginning to move and stir again. And it's the ripples on the water. I can, I can hear the sound of marching on the mulberry trees. I can hear the sound of God rousing himself. I can see the, hear the sound of a new day. I can hear that winter's over and spring is about to begin. There's a sound of singing hauntingly coming through the land. There's the, there's the blossom of a new day beginning to appear on the trees. Maybe, just maybe, this dark night is over and we're coming to a day when the strength of God is being roused on our behalf and your hair begins to grow again. Come on, hairy people. Who's ready to get hairy again? And here's what Samson prayed. And we know the story. If you read it right to the end, um, uh, it, it says uh, he prayed to God because he, he, he killed more in his death than in his life. It was an amazing final moment of a failed but restored person. Anybody failed here who needs restoring? Here's a message for you. Here's what he prayed to God. He said, God, just one more time, give me strength. Maybe somebody here this morning needs to pray that. God, just one more time. Come on. I can feel it. 